0: In this episode of Year One, you're in for a treat, we chat to Jimmy Chan, serial entrepreneur, coach, keynote speaker, disruptor, innovator, a man comfortable in being uncomfortable. Jimmy's a truly inspirational humanity plus leader. Get ready to be impressed. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Kloppers, and my good friend, Satish Barner. On year one, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards and everything else in between. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. So, Jimmy, the very first question that we always ask on our podcast is: why entrepreneurship? Why did you not get on the traditional route of working for a boss? What was it What was that moment in your life? What was that drive, that thought process that said, no, this is not for me. I'm my own path in school.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, Dion. So look, I came from a business school background, right? So I graduated from the Sherlock Business School in Toronto. And quite literally when during the first two years of my life, I tried, I guess I tried understanding all of the different career paths I could end up as a typical Sherlock student. So I looked into corporate finance. I looked into consulting. I looked into accounting. And I even had an internship in a multinational company in the accounting department and in the, in another, in a marketing consulting role. And it was about my second year when I kind of just came back with all that experience and pretty much I felt like I'm fucked, I'm unemployable. I can't work in any of these. It doesn't jive with me. I feel like I'm getting my soul sucked out of me. I just did not feel fulfilled. So over kind of that year of exploration. Uh, and oh, I, honestly, I got fired from my, from the last job that I had before an entrepreneur. And the reason why was because my manager asked to, uh, if, to give him some advice, right? Like, how can you be a better leader? And I came with a book of things that he could be doing better. And yeah, and he basically flipped out on me. So my response was, okay, then fuck off. Why would that- you ask me if you did it? And I think at that point, I just realized, man, I wouldn't even hire me. So... On that, I just didn't really measure up to a corporate or uh, an employee role. So uh, I kind of just realized this is my default. This is all I have left. So uh, all my eggs are in one basket. And I kind of gave myself in my last year of school, a six-month period up until graduation to make a dollar out of any freaking idea I had, because I was just that desperate to not find a job. And if I made a dollar, then I'm not going to go the traditional route.
2: That's not and Nope. No way back. And I love that. And and I'll share my own little journey into entrepreneurship. But the question I wanted to ask is a follow-up. And I've never had a job. I've had, well, I shouldn't say that. I've had one job in in high school at McDonald's. And like you, I was fired because I told the boss what I thought. And they're like, well, you're not cut out from McDonald's. You got to bounce. I was like, cool. But since then, I've been self-made. And there's this argument of entrepreneurs. The book smart and the street smart. Folks that sort of go through the education route to learn entrepreneurship and then figure out how to start something. And we've seen some incredible success stories in that path. People that meet in MBA school and then they go and start multi-billion dollar companies. My friend, Michelle Romanoff is one of those folks that she met her founders in MBA school and then they built a multi-billion dollar company, which regretfully I chose not to invest in the early days. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, don't give me books. Throw me into the streets. I'm gonna figure it out. Yeah. Do you see yourself as a hybrid? Do you see yourself as an accidental book to
1: entrepreneur? Where do you see in that argument? Yeah, no, for sure, man. I think we during my so fast forward to my second year university, beyond realizing I was not suit up for corporate, I also realized that pretty much everything that I was learning in business school wasn't going to be applicable afterwards. And the reason why is because, and man, I feel you when you're telling me about your educational background in Singapore and how all that traditional education and all the pressure. I felt that with Schulich, but in a way that it really let me down. I guess in business schools in general, I went to Schulich thinking that it's the most elite business school in Canada. But quite frankly, and I'm really grateful that whole system is evolving and changing and becoming much better today. But back then, it was all about kind of memorizing slide point decks, regurgitating information, and then forgetting them. Like, literally three months after exams, I have I probably have 95% of what I learned in business school I don't re- recollect today. I won't be able to tell you. So based on that and just understanding how that process works, I realized that was a cut out. So in a way, yes, I feel like I need more experiential learning. So actually in university, how I escaped that was by the second year, I made a decision. I'm like, look, I'm either going to drop out. Where I need to reinvent my own education so from that point on and kind of fast forward to the end of it I spent two out of the four years of my undergrad backpacking Latin America and I ended up highlighting a field course from up to study the supply chain of coffee and just going through farming coffee with farmers and learning interviewing the past president of Guatemala about coffee politics talking to exporters importers and just like really getting a hands-on experience And just really proposing things to my administration of things that will be pioneering and just give them, maybe give Shula a good PR and give them a good experience of what it means for educational models. Uh, I'm being the first one to do it and trying to, and just really from that point on reinventing my own education for that very reason. So um, that's a long-winded response, I guess, to, yes, I'm very much on the ground learning.
2: No, I love that. And I feel you're constantly pushing the potential of stuff. And if people don't dig it, like the last job you said, or other professors, how do you sort of bring stuff to the world, knowing that your leading edge it hasn't been thought out before? And every good leader, you are a leader because the first person decided to trust you. And that first person who follows you is really the proof, right? Because until yeah. that first person says, I believe in you, Jimmy, Satish Dion. You're just a guy going, hey, I have an idea to change the world, but you seem to be at that edge of borderline. I'm going to change the world, but if you believe in me, you have to also believe in the
1: impossible. How do you attract people in that kind of vibe? Honestly, man, it's because I'm fucking desperate. (laughs) Like I said, with the whole entrepreneurship, I was desperate because I knew I couldn't, I was unemployed, but I couldn't get a corporate job. And with this whole school thing, I was Quite literally desperate because otherwise I would have just dropped out of school or lived two years in depression. And I was in serious depression. I couldn't sleep at night. I was a very sad boy going through university. So I think in a way that I'm, look, for me, I hate competition. Okay, I think that's a fundamental part that's a misprogramming in me that I guess exists in my other classmates while going through business school. Everyone seems to love competition. So you go to case competitions, you go into clubs and everyone's fighting for the same role. Everyone's fighting for the same job. You got a thousand people applying for the same finance job. That shit gives me nightmares. So I came out of that. I'm like, okay, how do I re- reinvent it so that I'm in competition with myself and I don't have to care about anyone else. So in that way, I created, I'm proposing this thing that it's, I'm seeing literally the hope to my future on, and I'm betting every single ounce of kind of momentum and courage and confidence that I have into this idea, because I know if I don't pursue it, I'm fucked every other way. Cause I've already explored those avenues. So in that way, maybe people see that desperation in my eyes and also the hope and the light of me just fully visualizing and seeing the potentiality of what I'm proposing.
0: So Jimmy, just on that, I mean, I've read your choir. I mean, and I'm going to have to put some of that out there. So you got Oli Sports, you got Odyssey 3D, you got 14 scholarships when you were studying. You've mentioned you did that cruise through Latin America. You interviewed a past Guatemalan president. You launched Asus Computers in Chile, I think. You're an advanced salsa dancer. You are a runner. Jimmy, what drives you? Is it that desperation that you're talking about? Or what else is it that's driving you to be this person that excels and achieves at everything?
1: Well, first of all, I won't say that. I think that's actually quite the opposite. I pretty much feel at every single thing I try. And it's, I think through that journey and just, again, the desperation, like you said, right? what I'm trying to establish here. I've quite literally failed at so many avenues and that gives me desperation to try this new thing. So I think through that experience, I'm okay with failure. And it's with that mindset that gives me, I guess, the okay to look silly on a dance floor for two, three years in a row until I can achieve the confidence and the competency to really flow with style. And so I've been exploring with this concept of being autodidactic. In that, and this term is like words to find a reality, right? So autodidactic means you're self-learning, right? So you don't need a formal education to teach yourself. You don't need classes or a formal mentor. In fact, now I'm tr- kind of transitioning from having a mentor. I still have mentors in my life, but I'm trying to access my inner intuition, going to alpha, theta brainwave frequencies in order to access the inner source within the intuition and all that. So overall, I think it's a mix. I think I'm deadly I'm curious in a deadly way. And what that means is that whenever I have to pick between being happy and comfortable and being curious and suffering through that curiosity, I have again a misprogramming in me that always picks suffering and curiosity. And they fundamentally go together if you want to advance in anything meaningful in your life. So because of that, my curiosity has taken me to some quite interesting routes in my life. And I'm just, I feel some of the most uh, fulfilling stories in my life that I can share now. And just like that, I just really mix up who I am is because I've taken that route as opposed to the happiness, comfortable route.
2: Man, how old are you, Jimmy?
1: Yeah, i mean
2: 27. Yeah, man, I, I, as you were chatting, I was thinking back to your 1999 and i just about to graduate. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to work for somebody. My GPA is shit. People are going to judge me based on my GPA. They don't know I've got a mean, friggin' three point shot. I'm a starting point guard at Ryerson. i am DJing three nights a week. I'm the only student with a girlfriend for two years. Nobody sees that version, but they're going to see GPA scores. I don't want to get into my career being judged. I got to do something else. And I remember thinking, There's no way I'm gonna do anything out of curiosity, driven by fear or motivation, if I ever have a plan B. I gotta have plan A, burn the fucking bridges so there's no going backwards, and you just gotta keep going. And it felt silly and not a strategic thinking back then, but man, like you, that's everything I've done today is because of that belief system. And when people meet me now and I'm like, wait, three-time exit, keynote speaker in Brazil, DJ in frigging China and exits and all this stuff. It's very cool when I connect the dots that all of this stuff goes back to exactly what you just said. Exactly what you just said. I just
1: wish I had it more of a strategic thought at that.
2: <laughs> that could've been even more powerful, man.
1: i say 2020, i sure even when I was then, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Just kind of going in, feeling insecure and just going through the motion.
0: Man. So, Jimmy, obviously, we are here to talk about your business ventures and things like that, specifically Ollie Sports. Uh, Satish spoke about bar talk, and that's where we're having a pint. You're going to give us that 30 second pitch to tell us what Ollie Sports about, where the idea came from, and where it's at. And remember, we've been drinking already, so you got to give
2: it
1: oh, the yeah. simple <laughs> version. We'd be, we'd be drinking I'm going to give the sloppy version, man. the half drunk version. <laughs> yeah, man. So, tell us about Ollie Sports. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So look, at face value, Ollie Sport is a horse racing metaverse. But if you can just close your eyes, try to visualize an iceberg, okay? And I, I like to give this because we're Canadians. So let's give a cool analogy here, quite literally. So Ollie Sport as a horse racing metaverse is very much the tip of the iceberg, but it's what's below it that gives it its true kind of disruptive potential. So there's essentially three prongs that allows this. The first is that we're creating a space. For our investors and our players to quite literally quit their daytime jobs to play video games for a living. The second is redesigning a crypto economy that replaces financial intermediaries, be it government, policies, as well as traditional banking. And the third is that we're the first metaverse in the world to connect a virtual land with real land ownership, bringing security to our investors as well as our players in the game.
2: That's huge, especially the last point. Yeah. But let's dig a little deeper because when I look at the description of your businesses that we have, the way you write about it is not your typical. Odyssey 3, 3D, as the name would suggest, was found on the premise of a hero's journey. Who says that? You know, 30-second pitch or all Sport is designed to unite humanity under a common thread in order to work together. These are deep, meaningful purposes that transcends today's version of a company. So is that part of your design, your ethos of having these deeper purposeful companies that gives you the chance to pivot and shift and change and really build out a bigger ecosystem?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think fundamentally beyond CEO, like my passion's in philosophy and I do a lot of thinking. And I guess with Odyssey 3D, just to bring your audience to terms, that was my previous venture. And the premise of that was founded off of A Hero's Journey as coined by Joseph Campbell. So I'm deeply inspired by Jungian psychology, the forefather, Carl Jung, which then inspired Joseph Campbell to really have this understanding of the spiritual evolution of mankind. And I say mankind because... I do think that there is a nuance to the heroine's journey, which wasn't as particularly outlined in his work. But long story short, so Odyssey, what it meant for me was really breaking down and overcoming both inner demons as well as external obstacles. And it was really much a way for me to find out what it means to be a mature masculine because there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there and in a way, how to become a responsible business leader as opposed to just a business leader. So... Having taken that as some lessons, I really came out with actually, frankly, I didn't want to start another venture after this. I wanted to take two years off and just really reconnect with my soul. Do a lot of reading. I read about anywhere from a book a day to a book a week, depending on the time. But that really didn't happen for me because at one point, and it was during a COVID lockdown that it just, my heart was broken, man. I'm just seeing so much separation and suffering in this world. And in a way, and I guess going back to this philosophical premise of into Carl's understanding of archetypes, I was really exercising between, I, I was torn because at one end I had the, I, I had this calling to be a hermit, right? We call it the hermit archetype. Whereas the other is to express my king warrior ethos. So the hermit in me wants to literally fuck off from the world, buy a farm up in the mountains and just eat good food, live a good life, love, laugh, and just grow my community. Whereas the other archetype was, Kind of this call to action to, although I wasn't ready to reintegrate back into society and take the person i become and exercise that in a way that's going to benefit humanity in some way. So really I think in a way I often think am I either insane or am I up to something? And I actually, I quite, I go between the two because I see a lot of my fellow classmates and friends and peers still kind of worried about like day-to-day mortgage, improving their income. And just more so kind of materialistic concerns, whereas I feel probably 99% of my thought process is going to, how the hell are we going to survive as a civilization past this next 100 years? How do I feel comfortable bringing kids into this world when we have literally a laundry list of existential threats that's going to wipe humanity off of the face of the planet, right? We're halfway through our sixth global mass extinction event and... A lot of people seem to not even understand what ramification this means for us as a civilization. So I guess that's kind of the background of where I'm thinking and what's inspiring me to move every day and get out of bed. That's deep. That's deep, man. And when I look at the next wave of
2: businesses, it's going to really change the world. It's got to be led by entrepreneurs that think like you because in our days with Dion and I, and Dion, I'm going to share my version. I'd love to hear your version business and the person in the business were never allowed to connect. And if it did connect, it's always at the end when you're burned out, the worst version of you. My parents hated the fact that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, not because they had an opinion on entrepreneurship or business. All of the references from back home, uncles, parents, grandparents, was the worst version The dreamer who put the house on the line, lost all the money, kids starved, they had no other blueprint other than that is what entrepreneurs are. They put everything on the line. And so for the longest time for me, the imposter syndrome was massive. What if everybody is right? And it's probably because of my Singapore 12 year old version where what if everybody's right? And I'm really dumb and stupid why would I doubt mom and dad or every teacher or every grown-up? What do I know? And it takes a long while to break out of that mindset. And I love the fact that you're questioning those things. Sorry, Dion, I was on a tangent. I just needed to share.
0: And I absolutely, and I think you're right, Satish. I mean, when I grew up as well, it was very much a doggy dog type of world when you entered into the world of entrepreneurship. And it was about self-serving and it wasn't about thinking about your fellow man it wasn't about thinking about your staff or anything like that you just had this money driven goal that you were actually working towards to grow an empire or something and to hell with the consequence really so i think that we have really there's been a conscious evolution which is really encouraging around the business world and, and especially i mean Jimmy, you're 27 and you are taking this upon yourself. You want to make a difference. That is the mindset of the new generation or the younger generation, rather. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm really feeling buoyed up and confident that we're actually not that fucked. There's a lot of you out there. You, we actually got a chance of making things right and making a difference. Yeah, man. Now that- so, yeah, no, I salute. I salute that ethos and mindset. I salute what you do. And I mean, this talks a little bit. I mean, if you look at the people that we've interviewed, and I'm also getting off of the tangent now, if we ever look at the people that we've spoken to, a lot of them share that. It's about serving something bigger than yourself. And I think if that is the message that we're putting out there, we're in a good place.
2: Yeah, I love that, man. So the next segment deals with people like you that are starting their first business. And I don't know if you get this a lot, but... Almost every time I start a company, even at forty-six when I started Schoolio, why are you taking on education? You're not a teacher. You were in homeschooled. You didn't even do good in school. You, Jimmy, are building a business in everything new, everything future. NFT, blockchain, virtual real estate, currency, DeFi. How do you do with yourself coming to sort of terms that you're leading a company and a vision without any background and having done that before and do you get people pushing back you're so young and how do you know all this stuff and how are you gonna lead this company and so many of the people that that come to us for coaching or mentoring that's the part they're stuck in they've got the vision they want to go ahead they've saved up enough money but they can't get past themselves
1: no it's i I love that man i think that's a fundamental question that it's funny because when people ask me is this a good idea, I always bring it back to that question because a lot of times they can have the best idea, but if they're not the ones to execute it, then they're not the ones to execute it. Simple as that. So look, for me, I give you a bit about my background and again, just take it. I want, I want to take you back several months ago at the beginning of the last year, actually, I was in a position where I didn't have to work, right? I left my past venture to seek really a two year sabbatical and frankly, if I wanted to, I could have just hopped off and hopped off the face of the planet in a way and just not work for the rest of my life. So I was very much in the bay. Should I kind of just continue detoxing from this Western what's in it for me mindset, capitalism, and just go deep into my soul and the spiritual path? Or is it, where do I need to re- eventually reintegrate? And throughout that exploration, I've invested a lot of energy into meta learning. So this is the ability to acquire information at say 10 to 100 times faster than your typical person. And it was through this. Can you
2: talk a little bit more about that? I find that
1: fascinating. And most of our listeners are going to wonder, what does he mean by meta learning? Yeah, for sure. I've always been fascinated with this concept, but I've actually made it a full time. As much as I would spend on a startup, I spent that on optimizing the human biology within me. So... It's taking on, so my ideal idea of meta-learning taps into some concepts into biohacking as it's progressing today. And there's a lot to go in, so I won't dive into it. Obviously, the research can look into that. Another thing that you want to look into is accessing flow states, right? So Stephen Kotler does good work and he produced a revolutionary book and it's very much taken the premise of what the forefathers of flow psychology done back in the 70s and 80s And it's taking it into this decade and this today's time. The book was just published last year. It's called The Art of Impossible, I believe, by Stephen Collar. And essentially, he breaks down a methodology that can allow you to tap into something called the flow state, which is a state of psychological being that can improve your productivity by 500 times, allow you to access and activate all five field grid neurotransmitters, right? Serotonin, norepinephrine, on, on and on, oxytocin, so that you're essentially in such a hyper-aware state that you lose all sense of time and being, right? And you're just fully immersed in that idea. So with that, I've taken it into speed learning another language become conversationally fluid in Vietnamese, which is supposed to be, I guess, the second on a tier of hardness is on the second hardest tier of language to acquire. So I, I learned that in three months. So yeah. all in all, I've acquired this ability to just speed learn really fast and it came to a point where I was in discussion with my now co-founders and it was basically this understanding. It's like, I don't want taking on the leadership role, especially as a CEO is incredibly burdensome. And when I left my past venture, the day I realized, and I was talking to my mentors, the day I realized I didn't have to be CEO anymore, I cried, man. I, but it was a cry of relief. I was like, not a relief that like I hated this role, but all that pressure that you're under, man, it's like, Fuck, just feel that just being lifted and just that beautiful experience of just how proud you are of everything you've done. But also, damn, I feel the sense of freedom that I haven't felt for years. So to go back in the, I I joke around saying, I left the rat race, now I'm in the horse race. To want to to go back to that. There's this level of apprehension and hesitance, but then just realizing it's like, fuck, if I don't do this, might just die as an idea. So the better question I had to answer is, if not me, then who? And I didn't have an answer. So I'm like, this is the next role. And frankly, in the game, fly, metaverse space, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. No one's industry experts. No one has a PhD on it. Because quite literally, the industry's been created in the past year, majority of it. So it just takes this, like a mindset that you can acquire, learn fast, always be a student, ready to fail. And I think that's really what's required for the to execute my role well.
0: I mean, that actually just ties in perfectly. You've entered into... You're a disruptor at this point in time. You've come into a sector and you're actually disrupting it in terms of what you want to do. And there are a lot of people that want to enter these innovative markets that, that want to be disruptors and things like that. What type of challenges did you actually encounter as you started moving through this
1: new journey that you're going on? I think at one point, so with the Odyssey story, it was, we never, so, so the, my previous venture with Odyssey, it was never intended to be a, a startup, right? We never wanted to raise a series A and grow to a hundred million dollar revenue stream. It was very much built in a way that allowed us to learn how to be leaders and just learn the skill sets that we wanted to. So, it, so for me in that role, I was the optimizer, right? So I built systems out, I had a lot of control over how we structured the, the company. And I basically had my hand on the pulse of how things, go, how things went. But in our current startup, where quite literally back in September, it was just Alex, my partner, and I pitching this to startups, or rather, sorry, to VCs, raising $2 million at a $20 million valuation. Having done that in just one month, I mean, one of the fastest blockchain companies to do that in that space at the time. Now we've grown to 60 employees, fast forward five, six months from now. So it's virtually impossible to have your hand on the pulse of everything. So before I kind of my, I saw my role as almost like building, building out river channels and then allowing the river to flow in a way that's elegant. And it's an expression of my art. And that was what optimizing Odyssey meant. Whereas today in this company, where I find my role is very much more on an external basis. So I'm having chats with someone like yourself with, for, with investors, with public relations, and on top of that. Internally, and I probably dedicate maybe, I'd say maybe anywhere from 20 to 40% of my attention spent my bandwidth to that, I find myself having to take pebbles and flip them into the right direction that hopefully it then snowballs into something that produces a massive amount of internal change and optimization on that way. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm no longer the architect of the business, but rather I need to empower people and inspire people in the right direction so that they themselves become the architect role. So I think that was the biggest challenge. And from that, again, your words define reality, right? So I've been quite obsessed about integrating a more autotelic way of perceiving life and a way of perceiving business. So what autotelic means is essentially being process driven and having process goals as opposed to end goals in themselves, because. Having angles and oftentimes, especially in the crypto market, you don't know where it's going. So with the angle, I want to control everything. I want to control, control every aspect of my business Whereas the process goal. I always think to myself, right? I need a chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water. What does that mean for my role? How does it keep me going every day? How do I produce? What's my full, what's my prolific output every day and just focus on the day-to-day and doing that well, as opposed to trying to control the macros and the external circumstance. So that's, that's kind advantage. of. Yeah, that's the yeah, big because. Especially from a CEO
2: perspective, right? They tell you, get people to do the daily stuff. You got to stay big on the vision. You got to stay big on the long term. You got to stay big on the big picture. And mm. and you are suggesting the
1: opposite, which is the day-to-day. Think about what you can do today. Well, no. So I think as a CEO, you most definitely need to see the future. So in a way, you have to, you have to keep your eye on the horizon, but not lose sight of the ground. Yeah. But on a day-to-day, I'm an airplane flying, but every day I'm looking down. I'm not, and then I, I, maybe once in a while, look up on, that's the Northern Star. Let's keep inspiring people and let's keep rallying the team to reach this, you know, endpoint. I, very much everything I've said about the humanity, you know, that's the endpoint, man. But in order to do that, we need to secure the day-to-day. And for me, my particular day-to-day, night time of the companies, right? An hour I spend could be 40 hours of another employee at this point. And I have to come to terms with that, not egotistically, but how am I going to position that pebble in the most strategic way? that can actually produce 40 hours of results as compared to someone else. And that's quite a responsibility to have. And you have to think in a certain way for that. And that is very much day-to-day thinking. No, I love that, man.
2: I love that. And one of the fears that first-time founders or early founders face, when you ask them, what are your top three things you're nervous about in this venture? Always, hands down, the very first thing is, either don't know how to make money or fear that it's never enough, or you're gonna lose it all, right? And so this thing that we can't touch, feel, it transfers from one piece of paper to another Mm -hmm. is taking up all of our time and all of our fears. And I want you to maybe talk a little bit about money in this business. You decide how deep you wanna get, but essentially at some point, you went from bootstrapping to going out there to raise money. And then once you've got money, there's a whole bunch of new challenges that come with having money because you got to spend it smartly. You got to let it stretch. What is your relationship with money and folks that are getting into their first business? What's your advice on how
1: important money is in the early days? Well, money is going to make them break you, right? But at the same time, money isn't important at all. So there's quite a dichotomy there. And I think first of all, as any early stage entrepreneur, especially if it's your first business, there's a lot of shit you got to work out with your own relationship with money. Like you say, right? Are you the type to put your family down the line? Can't be that type of person, but you got to work out all that inner programming that you've had as a child where your parents with their best intentions have programmed into you. And I think that's the biggest challenge with any kind of entrepreneur journey. And even my in the past venture of my co-founders. So I look at it more so on hierarchy of needs, right? So I think Maslow does good work on that in that he describes some money is very much on the esteem platform. And I guess at the very lowest end is the psychological need. So literally, if you can't afford your rent, if you can't afford your food, how are you going to think about saving the world? You're thinking about what you're going to eat the next day. So you got to solve that. And after that, you got to, the social element, right? Do you feel secure enough and confident enough in your company that you're doing good work, that you can justify that to your friends? And you solve that. And then if you're you going to solve the love issue as well, do you love yourself? Do you have people that loves you and supports you? And can are you building a community around that? Because entrepreneurship is very lonely. And you got the extreme, which is incredibly money-focused. It's like you have... So so back in my earlier days, I had this thing in me that's, okay, so all my classmates are all making six figures and I'm making shit all. I'm sometimes taking money out of my own bank or making less than minimum wage. How do I justify that to my own ego? I can pay for my rent and my food how do I justify that to my ego? So as I kind of graduated from each stage, and sometimes I might go back and forth, but I think I'm in the stage of life now where I'm over the esteem element. I quite literally don't give a fuck about what my peers would think about me or what I do. And I think when you get to that stage and go into the self-actualization, which I'm progressing into more the self-transcendence, which is this last stage that isn't marked in the actual diagram, but it's put in his, it's like he's written about it prior to death. It was just never prescribed into his actual diagram. So point point a note there, right? It's a missing piece in the entire diagram. So really where I'm at in my stage of life is just really understanding what does it mean to be the best version of myself? What does it mean to be Jimmy? And what does that mean for the world? How do I take that and actually bring that back to community? And when you have that mindset, confidence is described in a very different way. And I'll tell you why. So in the past, when I talk to someone about a business deal, I talk in the mindset of, oh, pitiful Jimmy who earns fuck all needs to acquire this deal in order to get $10,000 in his bank, or needs to get a hundred thousand. When I talk to investors now, I don't give a fuck what I get. Right? I can get nothing out of this, but I'm in a mission, man. I got a fucking like, so it's the mission that drives me, right? Like I want to create something that's humanity plus. I want to create something that changes the world. So who gives a fuck what I want? But rather, it's not about me. I'm I'm simply a personification of all of the people, whether it's in my generation or the past generation, that's kind of pissed off about all the things that the leaders are doing today, right? I'm a personification of, what does it mean to build this new Metaverse project in a responsible way, in an ethical way, and in a loving, heart-centered way? So to that end, I no longer act for myself, but rather I act for something that's greater than me. And it gives me more confidence than I'm never, like, like that backs me 100% in every single thing I do. There's no doubt in my mind and no like kind of like self-regret in any action that I've taken. So that's the true revolution of what Ollie Sport is to me versus my previous ventures. Right,
0: Jimmy. I mean, that is so deep and that actually leads me really nicely into this last segment where we actually talk about that personal journey in terms of growth that you've been going on this journey with Sport. from what has changed within you. How have you evolved during this time?
1: I think I'm still trying to grow to become who's needed to succeed as a CEO of Sport. And that's fundamentally why I took the role. If I felt like I can just do everything 100% and I'm already qualified, like I wouldn't have taken it. And I think in order for me to get there, I, it requires a level of surrender that I'm not willing to take right now. My base psychological programming produces such a personality that is very much ambitious, but control oriented. So I need to in a way, like kill that side of me, like that boy, boyish instinct of self-preservation in order to just go all in, in order to just take that deep dive with full faith that the world will take care of it. I need to be able to put out a message and realize that I have, I don't, like if I were to control every single element of that message, it fundamentally will die because it takes more than just one person to execute it. So yes, I'm practicing surrender right now. And I think as I evolve and continue to evolve, I'm more and more aligned with that, with that concept.
2: Jeez, man, this guy, I need to listen to this podcast again right now. It is crazy. The knowledge that's coming out of you from self-reflection, man. I'm curious about what your day is. What is it? What is a, I don't want to say the word typical and diminish it. It's, What is your day? Give me a sense of when do you get out and what's your
1: routines like? And when is it like good enough to now go to bed? Yeah, I think first and foremost, and I don't want to come off. I'm working 16 hours a day because that's fundamentally incorrect. And I think there's a lot of, I think you brought on actually on this Satish with the whole grind. Like I think it's very unhealthy in our industry and my number one rule for anyone working with me, I won't say for me because I always love a flat hierarchy, whoever's working with me, their number one responsibility is to themselves because if they let themselves down, they let the world down. They can't take care of their family. They end up prioritizing their family for money, for business meetings, for collateral, for your business. They end up prioritizing maybe some other element for their business and on. You got to prioritize yourself. So for me, I think I've really changed from a per- paradigm of time management to more energy management. And I've read about this when I was young, but you can't really read about it. You got to exercise it to really see the difference. So what I mean by that is what I realize is an hour of optimized time can produce 10 hours of results in, when I'm unoptimized. So a lot of my... So so I'll begin my day, for example, with a energy exercise. I'm t- right now, and this goes differently depending on what month you talk to me. Right now, I'm exploring qigong, right? right. So accessing my energy, my prana, and just being able to direct that into... My understanding in my previous exploration many years back into the chakra channels, into different energy centers in my body. And how do I actually clear that up emotionally so that I can, I can have so much energy going into these type of meetings that it just, I do my job to the best potential. On a side, in the mornings too, I'm also exploring. I do a lot of reading, right? Whether it's through audio or physical books. I tend to do physical books more in the afternoons or sorry, uh, in the weekends. But in the mornings, I'm also looking into touching into different brainwave frequencies. So I'm looking to access more alpha, theta levels of operation. And that kind of goes into my exploration into flow state. So um, if you want to search it up, active meditation, you want to look into Vishen Lakiani's work. I'm taking some kind of guidance from him right now in terms of accessing that. And that kind of sets me up for the day. I'm continuing learning different languages. So I use a software that really helps me optimize that element. It's called Anki. And then I go into my CEO role. So during that time, whether it's taking, I I try to schedule my mornings for deep work. I, and again, with the whole understanding of energy, I don't function too well between one to three o'clock. So I don't even try to work then. I take a nap. I eat a good meal, try to chew my food 30 times before swallowing. And all those I'm seeing as if it's small things, but Quite literally, they make a huge performance difference in my day. If I rush my meals, I can see my output on a longevity scale. I, I track everything. I'm a systems guy. So I track my output day to day and I can see them decreasing when I don't do these things. And then come the evening time, I'll have these meetings and uh, we're meeting with the team, having strategy discussions, any of that up until anywhere from probably 9 p.m. to sometimes as late as 1 a.m. depending on what type of meetings I got to take for those uh, during those days. And
0: that, so, yeah. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Ah. Jimmy when we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs or you speak to people they always talk about the skills that you need Well, you wish that you understood a little bit more about finance or how to market your business how to how to raise fire how to raise investment and things like that it's all those and that's and bolts of a business you sure. are so self-aware you're so emotionally mature you're so grounded I don't want to talk about what advice or what guidance or what you would tell an inspiring entrepreneur to go learn about in terms of managing a business. What advice or guidance would you give them to get out and learn to become self-aware, more mature, more grounded?
1: That's very hard to advise because there's different level, depending on who I would interact with, they are at different levels of consciousness states. So to talk to someone who's at the very bottom, I would say something very different than someone who is a little bit more advanced or someone who's, I guess, at least along the journey at the same level as me right now. So to someone who's right at the bottom, I would say prioritize your health beyond all else. Everything relates to your health and both physical health, emotional health and mental health, right? You have an issue finding a girlfriend. Don't look at the girlfriend, right? Don't look at your romantic partner. Work on your health. You have an issue with that career. Don't look at your career. Right. You're not depressed because you don't have the best job. You're depressed because you're depressed, work on yourself. So when you fundamentally have optimized your health, and this is, as you can see, there's a lot of people in the personal optimization movement, the biohacking world that is then transcending into more of a spirit, spiritual discussion. And it actually, it's quite instinctual because once you've reached the pinnacle optimization of your biological makeup, then you start thinking about the more profound questions and by having that form of thought then you can execute on more profound ideas. So yeah, fundamentally, take care of your health. Number two, if you're kind of midway through that and you feel like you have that on the grass, I would say it doesn't get, don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it, meditate every day, get in touch with yourself and really do it in a way that your heart calls you to. You don't have to listen to all the advice out there, just do it, try to find it yourself, be autodidactic as opposed to instructionally oriented. So those are probably my biggest advice, yeah.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up on the DM because I'm somewhere in between And I'm still trying to learn a lot of this stuff. And just most of it is bad habits that I need to reorient and introduce new programming. Even the act of meditation or I've been telling myself I want to read more, but I can't find the right type of books that actually get me wanting to read. So I do the imposter thing of I need to read the business books, the autobiographies. and I'm like, nah, if I could read comics for 20 minutes a day, that's cool. Let's just go. Mango, so, man. so I love how you set that up. Last question. And this is a follow-up segment. Every time we talk to somebody, we try to figure out, give us a sneak peek into what's coming down the pipeline for your business. And it gives us a chance to now do a check-in a year from now to go, hey, remember we chatted about a bunch of things? How's it going? So can you share a little bit with Ollie Sport and in the next 8 to 12 months, what are some of the things you're hoping to accomplish?
1: Yes. Okay. So I think the first and foremost is that we're going to be launching your mainnet. So that's going to be happening in within Q1, Q2 period. I won't disclose the date yet just because I'm not permitted to. And I will also nuance it to say that I'm personally working on even a bigger announcement, but I'm not able to publicize that as of yet, but stay tuned for that. So those are probably the two things. I do have a call to action for those in the audience. I don't know if it's appropriate to mention it now or you want to segment that into the next phase. No, let's mention it. Yeah, let's mention it. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So really if I, if I want, so, so one thing I want everyone listening to, to take away is there's people out there doing good work. There's people out there that sees the overall macro dynamic of what's happening. And I, myself, I've been an audience for all my life. And I think now I'm not there yet, but I'm transitioning to becoming one of those leaders and I'm growing to be able to fit into one of those shoes. So my request to you is whenever you interact with the world, whether it's your career, how you earn money, whatever it is, always think, are you supporting people, leaders, and initiatives that's humanity plus, or are you supporting something that's humanity minus humanity plus being something that can produce a sustainable future for us hundred years, 200 years from now. And humanity minus is something that can take away from our community, takes away from humanity to any degree, right? Whether it's working for a cigarette company, oil, gas industry, working for CPG goods, packaged goods, selling insecurity with makeup lines, that's unethical. All of these things, it impacts who you are and your own development. So think about that. And whether you're the type that can maybe at your stage, be one of those leaders, be a humanity plus leader. Don't be a humanity minus. Or if you're not ready yet, which is completely fine. Everyone has their own journey. Look out to all the leaders in your community who are humanity plus and try to support those projects. And all Sport being my own personal artistic expression of what I'm about. Look into it, join our community. Just check out what it's about and see if it resonates with your soul. And that's all I got to say. Brilliant, bro. What a great way to end the show. What a
2: great way to end the show. And listen, we're so grateful that you made some time for us. And I know you're busy doing what you got to do to bring your vision to the world. And so we appreciate you making some time for us.
1: Love it, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala
2: and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BloomX. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.